Finding this podcast magical? Why not toss a coin to your Witches and a Druid podcast through the Acast supporter feature? It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to show your support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Three Witches and a Druid Podcast. Canadian podcast about paganism in today's modern society. At the festival sounds a horn calling the people again. Child of Polycon, newly summer born, rapping like the green.
to force a tent towards his name And then at length and on a strength Cahul and he became At the festival sounds a horn calling the people again Child of Bali from newly celebrant rapping like the green At the festival sounds a horn calling the people again Child of Bali from newly celebrant rapping like the green Hello and welcome to Three Witches and a Druid. Or are we three witches and a druid today? I think it's two witches, one druid, and a heathen. Okay, that's that's also fantastic. My name is Margo. And I'm Gwen. And I'm Brian. And I'm Jennifer. And Jennifer is our guest today because Maeve is out camping. We realize that a lot of pagan podcasts take the summer off because we're all normally camping. (laughs) (laughs) But we may today work. Margo is driving in a car. Well, I'm riding in the car. I'm not driving it. She's a passenger in a car. Yeah. Gwen and I are home, and so Maeve is out in the woods somewhere, probably... Naked around the fireplace or something. Probably. <laughs> so today's episode, we're talking about Lunasa, which is one of the Celtic fire festivals and one of my personal favorites holidays of the year. I found this little quote I want to read, uh, if you guys don't mind. Absolutely. Go ahead. He looks to the sun as he has changed from green to gold, and he knows that his time has come. His life will feed the people, and it is his sacrifice that we honor at Lunasa. But yeah, for me, Lunasa, it's it's probably my second favorite holiday of the year. Our growth is very, very craft-focused, so it's usually always the ritual I hold. I usually convince the other crafters in some way to sacrifice something and hoping that the gods bless their future craft, their future smithing abilities. That's amazing because he's Irish Lou. That's that's him, right? The many skilled or something, right? Or the long arms or the, yeah, the many skilled. Yeah. It's funny you say it's your favorite because I was thinking about it in the same way that it's hard to get pagans because we're all scattered camping and all that sort of thing. There isn't a festival. It's not often well attended for public rituals. Like small groups can maybe pull it off, but public rituals aren't well attended. And I, it was like the least popular maybe or the second least popular one. And he had a few reasons. One is people don't know the stories of Lou. Right. We don't have um, comparable holidays like Easter, like Christmas, like Halloween, where there's excitement built up in the um, mainstream culture, right, for the holiday. And I guess it's historically, it was also the time of fairs and festivals, and it's sort of like festival season. I know you, you start festival season a little earlier, but August for me is often pagan festival month right and well it's funny you say that that it's not overly well attended because to my understanding we here in nova scotia anyway we've always had our major festival over lunasa so to me it was always probably the most attended of all ritual (laughs) yeah again that was a private group you say it's a it was a major festival it was a private group it's not an open true true it's a private group of 200 people yeah it wasn't an open group on the commons sort of thing Right, right, right. So I, I feel bad because we kind of skipped over this. Uh, Jennifer, do you mind actually introducing yourself? 
Yeah, no problem. So my name is Jennifer Hartman and I run PeggyKids.org and I work on bridging the new ways and the old ways through a little bit of research. So the Norse pagans typically take a lot of inspiration from the Celtic or Wiccan Wheel of the Year and try to uh, bridge it with the old ways in order to reconstruct what we've lost. It helps to keep the pagan spirit alive through the year. Right. But it also creates a lot of confusion with those who are trying to only practice super historic ways. When it comes to Lunasa, it's actually an ancient Celtic or Celtic pagan festival. And in Quebec, my family's in Quebec right now with the military, although we'll be in Nova Scotia in two weeks. Yay! Yay! <laughs> We're so excited. Our whole family's down there. Yeah, so in Quebec, they actually have this massive Celtic pagan festival in about I think 10 to 12 days where a lot of the local Vikings go in and they set up a great big uh, long house and they do a bunch of Viking reenactment from the time. So they kind of combine their Norse ways with the Celtic ways at this festival. That's very cool. Oh, that sounds awesome. I don't think I've ever heard of that. No, me either. That sounds very cool. I want to go do that. I had no idea and I'm really sad I'm going to miss it. Uh, but I've been really active in the Viking scene here since COVID has gotten better. And while meeting all of the local Vikings, they told me about this. Wow. I have to look that up. That that sounds like uh, an event to travel to. Road yeah, trip next right. year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It sounds really cool, and apparently there's uh, more than 80 Vikings that go there, and even bigger turnout for uh, the Pagan and the Celtic communities. Awesome. What part of Quebec is that? Uh, this is, I believe it's in Quebec City. I have a link to it on my last blog. It's uh, titled Vikings in Quebec Part 1. Very good. Awesome. I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, me too. So in in heathen culture, do you guys do much for Lunasa or or Lamas as it's commonly known? When I looked it up, when I looked up the historic heathen side of all of this, it doesn't really seem like it existed. And many people who have theories around it think that the heathens were way too busy in the fields attending to their new crops to really celebrate. But it would make sense that they would celebrate a new fresh heap of food that is just starting to bloom right now. Right, yeah. Well, that's the center of this festival is sort of the welcoming as autumn approaches, the new harvest, it's a feast, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a Norse pagan way to help celebrate with the family, but for the most part, when it comes to historic heathenry, uh, there's really not much. I can talk about the Norse pagan stuff if you want to. Yeah. You can. Yeah. So with the, with the Norse pagan reconstruction of all of this, it takes a lot of inspiration from the Celtic pagans. So you've got the baking of the braided bread, except usually people will try to bake an image of Freya into the bread because of her ties with fertility. However, I personally think it would probably be better fitting if you were to bake her brother, Freyr, who is one of the gods of harvest, or their mother, uh, Nyarthas, or even Njord. So all of the Vanir gods are associated with like, farming, planting, fertility, and all that. So I personally would rename it to baking veneer buns and baking the veneer family into all of it. Another way to celebrate with a family would be to pick a harvest. So if you don't have your own crops to pick, definitely go and visit and support your local farm to pick whatever's in season, which is a lot right now. <laughs> And you can also make uh, Lunasad dolls, which is an ancient tradition that also comes from the Gaelic areas, where you take the corn husks and you craft them into dolls. If you're trying to tie in historic heathenry into all of this, uh, you can assume that you have a sumble, which is where you toast to the gods to show your appreciation and thanks, honor them first, and then your immediate ancestors, and then each other. So for everybody that you toast, you would take a sip. Back in historic times, you'd finish a drink each person, but we've evolved. <laughs> and then uh, by the time the toasting is finished, 
you'd move on to your feast. And by the end of the night, a harvest festival really wouldn't be complete without a fire to honor and symbolize the sun. And uh, I believe Lou is also a god of the sun. He is, yeah. Yeah. As well as a few things. Lunasat is named after the pagan sun god Lu, who was once king of Ireland, god of truth, arts, crafts, oaths, the law, and much more. Okay, he's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades god. Yes, I've seen something about him being tied to the apocalypse as well, but I'm not sure how much truth is behind all that. I'm definitely more Norse pagan-oriented than anything else. Right, right. Everything you've just described pretty much described the festival that took place here in uh, Nova Scotia. Yeah. Yeah. The only real difference was that the sumble would take place late at night around the the fire pit. After we ate, because, yeah, we we can't do this on empty stomachs. We modern folk. (laughs) (laughs) We had a hard enough time managing it with, with food in our bellies. (laughs) <laughs> and funny enough, actually, I, I think the last festival, Dan, the druid, ended up leading the stumble because everyone thought he was a heathen, but he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing he's got a beard, right? Actually, no. no actually, actually, he does no. <laughs> He's got a bit of a baby face. Yeah. All right, so we're breaking stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. No, that sounds excellent. So I was thinking, I know that Maeve often mentions about the differences in climates and and that sort of thing. And we've kind of made it say, one of the ways of looking at it is one of the, like a first harvest festival, but the Lamas end of it is loaf mass. And pretty much here, we don't, we're not into grain. Our grain isn't ready for, for harvesting right. yet. And I was reading just today that the Anglo-Saxon word prior to loaf mass, prior to that Christian overlay, was first fruits, which kind of makes more sense. In my house in Nova Scotia, in my house, <laughs> we don't have our Nova Scotian tradition of hodgepodge until Lunasa. So hodgepodge, I never had as a formerly um, Upper Canadian. I had never had hodgepodge till I came here, had never heard of it. You know, you can make it at any time because we are so blessed with food from any time, anywhere, any place at our fingertips. But basically, it is to be made with fresh, sort of the first crops, the baby carrots. Yeah, the baby potatoes, the baby beans. Yeah, the potatoes, the um, vegetables are lightly, lightly cooked and then um, heated with cream and butter and served as like the most delicious soup on on the planet. It is, I I remember trying to, to describe it to someone that hadn't ha- had never had it and made it this time of year with those fresh just out of the garden ingredients whether you get them at your local at your local market or or from your own garden if that's if you're able it's the way we honor this first harvest of our place and it is such a, a treat for us that we look forward to luminosa as well when we s- started helping out at with the um Avalani's Pagan Gathering. It was not on the long weekend, but we just thought we had so much fun, we should add an extra day. And so, yeah, it got transferred to that long weekend and it was sort of the beginning of that festival season too. So it was doubly um, celebrated here for us. Right. I know there's going to be a public uh, Lunasa ritual this year in the Commons. It may be well attended because everybody hasn't been able to do in person yeah, there's no festival or anything. Yeah. So do you know who's leading the public ritual this year? Uh, it's through Essence, but I'm not sure who's really leading it. Yeah. Okay. What what day is this? Uh, it'll be, I think it's August 1st. August 1st? Okay. So I might be able to make it. The whole family is going to be double vaccinated, which means we actually don't need a quarantine when we get there. So I might be able to make it. <laughs> yeah, lovely. Woo. I'll be at Druid Fest, so I won't be there, but... Yeah. <laughs> I, one thing I was reading was that basically it is United Kingdom, it's a Great Britain, sort of the Celtic origin mostly. There are other festivals and other holy days, you know, right across the world. 
having to do with harvest and everything, but Lunasa as celebrated through uh, Wicca, re reimagined by gardeners, basically pretty tied to that that culture, eh? Right. Yeah, not a lot of overlap in. No, like even for the druids, like at at our little festival, we'll we'll do the making dolls out of uh, corn husks and yeah. toss them in the fire at the end of the night. Yeah, we really enjoy burning things. <laughs> celebration isn't a celebration without a bonfire. Yeah, right. The big thing for this year, I'm getting everybody to to take whatever it is their craft be, and create something, with the full understanding that they are going to throw it into the fire. Last year's Lunasa ritual was all about taking the scraps or the mistakes of your craft and sacrificing those. This year, it's about taking something you're, you're proud of and cherishing and throw it into the fire. Yeah, that makes sense. Something that you would actually use to honor a god, something you're proud of that you're going to right. throw away at the end of the day. Yeah. And the, uh, the idea is to understand the actual meaning of sacrifice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. It should be fun. We have a couple of new people coming with us this year two brand spanking new pagans. I don't really, I don't think we really have a term in druidry for like baby witch, but baby <laughs> druids, I guess. We can lose baby witch as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Novice, apprentice, yeah. <laughs> but overall, like like I said, it's it's one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, Samhain, of course, being everybody's favorite. That's a, a given, I think, for most people. Uh, mostly because of Halloween and free candy. <laughs> but, uh, Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Yeah. I can definitely see why a lot of farmers would uh, would be very excited about this and people who grow their own crops, people who attend to nature all year round just to see the fruits of their harvest finally start to bud. I, like, it's, I can definitely see why it's a big, big deal for many people. I'm trying to remember, like we did potato harvest. I'm trying to remember when that happened. I think it was more September. Yeah, I think that would probably be around Maven. That sort of lines up with, as Maeve has mentioned in the past, about our seasons. It's like they're shifted ever so slightly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And just, I, th I think that's just a sign that people just need to take this point in the calendar these equidistant points in the calendar that that are marked as holy days and treat them with reverence and just you can maybe be inspired by what you may read in a book or hear in a podcast or see on a youtube but look around your own environment and and where you are and take your cues from that totally exactly in heathenry or ancient, even Celtic paganism, you wouldn't have the dates of the calendar. You'd follow either the lunar cycle or the solar cycle, and that would help tell you when it's time to celebrate. But you'd also have to determine that based on what's happening agriculturally. So if it's starting to frost or if it's starting to get warmer, if the days are getting longer. And in this case, it would be the first fruits or the first 
full moon nearest the occasion. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious because I know your your new book coming out is based on the stars and I right around this time I'm trying to think if it's hitting prominence or coming over the horizon, but this is where Sirius comes in and that's sort of the dog days of summer, right? When things are really hot and slow down and all those sorts of things. And I'm wondering, did the Norse, when they did their celebrations to the constellations, were they were they looking at the stars as well? There was a little section of a study I was reading, but I couldn't translate it properly. So I started talking to a friend of mine who's read the study a ton of times, and he's actually struggling to go through it as well but it was something to do with measuring the stars and the moon with nothing but the tools on your hands to help give you that kind of estimate but for the most part from what we have been able to understand about reading the sky is they count from how many full moons so each full moon is a month right so every third full moon was typically a big occasion but in northern areas of Scandinavia there's periods where the sun doesn't set at all so you can't really use the moon and there aren't really any like heathen holy days if I dare say for the summer in the poems we have something around Yule or most of the world calls Christmas um, we have something called uh, Sigurdblot, which is Victory Blot. And we have Winter Nights or Vetranatr. And there's just a couple other important holidays that have been marked throughout the poems, but nothing appointed by Odin. Right. And so those are the only ones you'd really you'd really celebrate but if you're part of a Swedish or Scandinavian heritage you know that there's this massive celebration at some point in the middle of summertime and modern culture calls that midsummer but back in historic times it would just be at any point of the summer and presumably when the summer sailors had come back from their travels. You'd celebrate as a village and there'd be summer games and everything. But again, when you look into the studies, we don't really have anything for this first fruit. And it's presumed it's because they were too busy. Right, yeah. Having come from a rural area and doing my own back to land experience for several years, yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. You are too busy. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about the seasonal change, and it kind of put me in a, a mindset of a new podcast. Well, I don't. I say new podcast, not a new podcast. It's been around forever, but it's a podcast I started listening to, and it's called New World Witchery. And a lot of the focus of the podcast is the idea that a lot of the stuff we learn is, of course, from Europe. And then we need to take those things and adjust them for our own environment. And it's been pretty interesting. Just the concept that the, the holidays don't quite match up and such. Yeah, I've been listening to that podcast for a while. And the author has a book out, you know, a collection of folklore sort of thing. Yeah. We have our own. And I mean, he does a good job at trying to include North America, but it is it is a primarily American, U.S. American <laughs> Uh, folklore that he mostly references. Oh, very much, yeah. Here in Nova Scotia, we have Helen Creighton, right? We have Blue Nose Magic, and we have some, beyond the academic stuff, we have some stuff that you can, you know, find at our local library, or I, you know, purchase a copy Mm -hmm. of our, our local folklore. And we were primarily, I think, you know, Nova Scotia kind of gives it away. Primarily Gaelic peoples came here, but we also have strong Germanic communities. Uh, Lunenburg, which is a heritage, world heritage site, is Maeve's people come from that area. And there was like seven Germanic families for what is it, 400 years on a, in that little fishing village sort of thing. Right. So we we have some folklore that's adjusted in to this new land and has been recorded, but it's also a case of this is where it's kind of cool mm-hmm. to talk to your neighbors and your parents and your grandparents and notice the things that, you know, why do we do that? Why do we always do that sort of thing and where that's coming from? But yeah, well, it's funny, uh, and I I don't remember if this was something we discussed. But it's come up a few times the last little while. And it's just a funny story about a lady, like she was cooking a ham 
and she cut off the end of the ham. And their partner had said, why do you cut off the end of the ham? And she said, oh, my family's always done it that way. And she said, well, I need to know why. So let's call your mom. And so they call up the mom and mom says, oh yeah, we've, my mom always did it. We just always did it that way. So they called up grandma and grandma said, well, back in my day, the stoves were so small that you had to cut the end of the ham off. <laughs> and, it and it became this family tradition without yep. realizing where yep. it came from. Yeah, exactly. Well, we could see echoes of that in so many things in our lives nowadays that we were just living through old scripts right now, sort of mindlessly. So, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, very cool. So, so the, the next part of this episode is a bit of an interview with Jennifer about her book. So that's why we haven't talked too much about the book. But being that we're in the future, we have the ability to ask you, Jennifer, how has the Kickstarter gone? It's been good. Uh, we have about 19 days left and we're really close to 40% right now, 40% uh, raised. Awesome. I'm starting to stress out just a little bit because it really has to be successful if I'm going to publish the book. Right. Does that have to be 100% completion to get there? Yeah, that needs to be 100% funded in order to get published because the printing costs are, the printing and shipping costs are a bit high. Right. But the rest of the book is completely done. I currently have three samples at home that look absolutely beautiful. Um, one of them I'm supposed to be reading on a local radio station tomorrow with one of the Viking clans here. Oh, wow. Uh, so they're supposed to be battling in the background while I sit in front of a Viking tent reading the story to three kids who are supposed to be asking me very hard questions. <laughs> so I'll be reading them um, Old Mother Frost as well as Who is That in the Sky? Right. Most kids don't know about Norse mythology, so I've got to put on my teaching pants, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but right. that's, yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. So I'm hoping that that garners a lot of attention from the English community here. And it's already gathered a lot of attention from the French yeah. uh, community. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, a little nervous. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely we'll definitely link to that Kickstarter in the, the show notes. That'd be awesome. It, it may not be much, but it, it's something. I think it's one of those uh, author anxieties, knowing that it's all on there. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. No, I get you. But yeah, was there anything else? Do you think we're good? I'm trying to remember how Maeve does the ending. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I don't I don't want to end it because we are going to transition into our interview with, with Jennifer. Well, right, yeah, we don't have and to technically. So we're, we're not going to end it, but I will do the plug as Maeve does that, um, you know, uh, a review is nice and a five-star review is nicer. That our lovely um, editor and sound wrangler the person that makes us sound like we know what we're talking about she throws in a lot of volunteer hours and if you could hit the buy me a coffee or the patreon button and we can pass that money along to her we we would really love to do that and of course we we need to thank our our patrons let's see if we can pull them up well it's funny actually because uh, jennifer is one of them <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> one dollar a month is not so bad <laughs> well, we can thank Jennifer because she's one. Uh, so Jennifer Hartman and Linda Humle is one, as well as Kaylicious. So thank you very much for your support. We, like we're obviously just starting this, but we appreciate every little bit that you can help us with. Like Gwen had said, this doesn't go to us. This goes to our poor starving sound editor who occasionally likes to drink coffee with maybe a little bit of Irish cream in it. So, uh, yeah, so the next part of the podcast uh, will be an interview with Jennifer from Gwen and I. So it, it's like nothing changes. And we'll say goodbye to Margot somewhere lost on the highway between Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia. And and uh, also to leave enjoying her uh, camping trip. Yes. <laughs> All right. Enjoy the blast from the past, guys. Finding this podcast magical? Why not toss a coin to your witches and a druid podcast through the Acast supporter feature? It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. 
Just click the link in the show description to show your support now. Welcome to Three Witches and a Druid, which lacks two witches. Uh, instead is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jennifer, uh, one witch, one druid, and a heathen? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's hear about you before we get into the rest. Tell us about Jennifer Hartman. All right, so Jennifer Hartman is a Canadian author and the content creator of Pagan Kids. I am married with one child named Ragnar, ancestral. It just happens to be badass now with Vikings. <laughs> but yeah, uh, my entire journey into becoming an author and starting this resource for kids is pretty much inspired for my son, who I realized didn't have access to any of the stuff unless I created it. So that's what I'm doing. Excellent. That's excellent. So what is your heathen origin story? Did it hit you as, as an adult or was it sort of family based? It's kind of uh, it's kind of family based. It's mostly self-actualization or realization. And the label, I, I don't even know if I would put the label on myself, but it seems to be the best one to match my description. I grew up in a half Catholic family and my mom is very Swedish, but she was never really attached to the church. Like we grew up celebrating Yul as the Swedish tradition, but my mom would always tell me about pagan origins of these things. My mom is definitely very much witchy, very much pagan, and has explored a variety of different paths, but she never pushed that on us. Instead, it was something we always knew about. Then for every single holiday, it was like, oh yeah, did you know about this pagan origin story? It was always about Halloween or Yule, Easter. So it was never something where I felt like I had to convert to a certain path. And again, once, uh, once my son was actually just before that, my husband and I, when we started dating, we both had said that we're drawn to the Norse gods and the everything like that, but we didn't really know too much about it. So we ended up getting married with a hand fasting ceremony and we swore our bonds to ourselves, but with the gods as our witness. And it was our way to sneak something in in front of our families. <laughs> when my son was born, we really wanted the traditions that I grew up with, with the stories that we both knew about. So it was around then that I started prying into the pre-Christian origin stories of the holidays and fact-checking things and ended up finding pagan community groups, which ended up being that label, the, aha, this is my people. Right. And that's, I guess, my Norse pagan heathen story. Okay. So is heathen a label or a title that makes you uncomfortable? Do you prefer Norse or no? I kind of go with Norse pagan because I feel like more people view that as open, whereas heathen is kind of more historical. And I kind of play that line. So I'm very much into finding the history of things. But I'm also very much a new age meets old ways kind of person. That makes sense. Yeah. So you're an author, of course. That's why you're here. Tell us about the books you've written. Yeah, so uh, I started off with Old Mother Frost, which was a labor of love. And that I didn't expect to go further than my house. <laughs> I was writing a story for my son, and I just wanted to make sure that I was getting the facts right. So if he went to school telling people that he celebrates Yule and it came before Christmas, he had facts to base it up instead of just being bullied into submission, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I grew up with Yule and we just kind of gave up on that title in front of peers because nobody's going to get it. So just call it Christmas and do our own thing in the shadows. Right. So I don't want my son to feel like he has to do that. I want him to be very proud of everything, but there's nothing for him. So I did the research, months of research. I made the story. And again, I was trying to find studies to back up 
the stories that I grew up with, which led to pagan and heathen groups, uh, which led to uh, Frau Hole, who I named Old Mother Frost for English books. And this book is based on ancient Norse folklore, not so much the mythologies, although you could consider it a mythology. But yeah, so this is just a Yuletide story for kids based on a very popular Norse goddess all throughout Germany, Denmark, and Sweden. And this one's being translated to German now because there's a ton of German people who messaged me saying that they love Frau Hole, but they have nothing for the holidays and nothing for you. So I've really managed to find something that everybody wants for the holidays. Oh, excellent. So it's, it's being translated into other languages. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah, congratulations. Congratulations. That's awesome news. And you've got a new book coming out. I'm on the waiting list. Um, <laughs> so so tell us a little about that as well. So the one that's coming up most recently is called Who Is That in the Sky? And that's a toddler book based on the Norse deities who travel through the sky to bring darkness and light. So it's not just for the Norse deities, but also to introduce toddlers to the different phases of the day. So teachers can use that either as a pagan lesson or as a daytime lesson to teach kids the different phases. This one is going to be a board book, so I'm going a different route when it comes to printing. This one's going to be bulk printed and stored and shipped from the USA. So that way shipping will shipping and the book cost stays affordable to everybody or as affordable as I can make it. So that one I'm going to have a Kickstarter launching in about a month. And then other than this one, I have Midsummer Soul that's going to be released in the spring of next year. Yeah, that's amazing. You said these were written for your son. Was there any other form of inspiration that brought you to this, to this place? Anger. (laughs) (laughs) Anger and frustration that I couldn't find something that I wanted because it didn't exist. I made it. Uh, It's the same thing with almost everything to do with pagan kids online. There wasn't any easy information out there. There wasn't enough accurate information out there. So I made sure that I read a ton of studies and simplified them and then pushed them out to the world. The free printables on my site, that was not for my son. That wasn't even for me. That was just parents telling me how frustrated they were that there weren't Norse pagan activities for kids out there. Right. Uh, So I took a stab at it, created it, and put it out there. And now I work with featured artists as well. So artists who can turn their art into coloring pages for kids to doodle. Excellent. Yeah. Who, uh, who's that in the sky? Although my son's a toddler, I was, I'm still not sure if it's going to be successful. That all depends on the Kickstarter. If it's not, I'm going to have to try to find a traditional publisher who wants to take it. But that one is just... Um, On my website, I usually have a blog once a year for recommended reads for Norse pagan kids. And there weren't enough books to put into the toddler section. So that one was just, oh, I need another book that's not ABC or rune based. So here's here's one based on the Voluspa. Excellent. That's a great idea. You've mentioned so far, everything seems to be very Norse based. Do you feel at some point you may branch out into other paths or stick to what you know? Uh, Totally. I'm definitely going to branch out. I just want to focus on the old ways. Pretty much right now, I'm focusing on taking what I know culturally from Sweden and writing the pagan origins of that. So it's kind of the new new age meets old ways. Then after that, I want to go into a new uh, new age celebration series. Okay. So that's going to include like the modern Wheel of the Year celebrations and not the strictly old four books for the old ways. Yeah. I noticed on your website, you have some really great blog posts that sort of follow the wheel of the year. You've already got some material that you, I could see where you're working through that, eh? getting prepared for that. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of good reading on your site. So I totally recommend that for people to get to know you. Yeah, that is a part of my learning curve was uh, when I first got into the Norse Pagan Path, you very quickly find the wheel of the year. And that wheel of the year was redesigned to fit the Norse pagan perspective, I think in the 1970s. So I I find it's important that people know what these new age celebrations are, know how to celebrate them, but also know the history and where it comes from. Yeah. 
What were the steps that you took to get yourself published? Did you, you had to go out and find a publisher or, or a way to print yourself, I assume? Yeah, uh, while I was trying to figure out all this research and trying to compile the book together, uh, the Facebook groups were a big help. Again, I wanted this book for my son as soon as possible, so I ended up discovering self-publishing. So I've created Pagan Kids as a publishing house as well, in which I house all of my books, but then I use different platforms to get them out into the world. Other than that, the entire process is long and slow, and you have to be very patient. I had to work on the manuscript, getting it edited, getting it illustrated, licensed, formatted, and then I have to upload it to a certain program or give it to a company in order to start printing it for me. Who's that in the sky? I have to figure out the distribution and storing myself. But with Old Mother Frost and Midsummer Soul, I use Ingram Spark, which ends up distributing it and printing it on demand. So I don't have to worry about putting that upfront cost in. Yeah, that's it. Right. Now, I assume this whole thing had a process at one point, and with COVID, that's, do you feel that's changed much? I really wish that I could meet everybody and do author readings, uh, do book signings, and go to the fairs, uh, but that's been hard. I really want to go into the art shows and get into the local community, but I can't. I started all of this while COVID was happening, so nothing has really changed on that front. I just really wish that I could meet everybody, and I can't. Right. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you feel, this is a bit of an awkward question, but do you feel that there's been any backlash for what you've created? It's all been quite positive, I assume. A lot of it has been positive, and I'm kind of surprised because I know the controversy out there when it comes to the little minority pocket people in heathenism who don't like different cultures and try to keep people out of it. Right. I found one person, just one person, who said that they're not racist, but they think, essentially, they said everybody should be segregated. Right. And I pretty much addressed that right away, and I take that as a learning opportunity. But she had requested that for my next book, I don't put people of color into it. (laughs) And yeah, she said, for historical accuracy, I would suggest for your next book, don't do this. I took that as gracefully as possible. It took me about a day to complain to my husband a lot. And just be like, ah! Yeah, so uh, I think we both came to an understanding that we love all people, and I will not be keeping people of color out of my books because it's not historical. I'm not purely old ways. I'm bridging the gap between the old ways and what is cultural. Right. And Norse, at the height of their myth-making and everything, were very cosmopolitan people that traveled the world and interacted, and people came home with them, and they stayed other places, and... Yeah, there are people that have a really strange version of, you know, 500 years ago, a thousand years ago that we were all segregated, but we never were. No, never. We never were. It's, it's interesting because recently there's there's been two discoveries in Greys where it was uh, an individual of a different ethnicity found amongst the buried, yeah, which was a respectful burial, as well as an artifact that praised Allah, which was interesting. So, yeah, things aren't quite as crisp as people like to believe it is. There, yeah, like you said, there, there's a lot more of a mix. Um, and that's where I really like your approach. When you refer to the old ways, it's not this myth of the old ways that has kind of arisen over the last 100 or 200 years or whatever. You've, you've done research, but then also you're putting it in a modern, making it work for mo- a modern society for the way we work today too. So it's not as far apart as sometimes people think in their minds, but I just love that you've brought that research aspect to it as well. It's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, and I, while I'm not raising my son back in the pioneer days, so <laughs> I'm the medieval times. Exactly. Yeah. 
So what's next? You've got this next book. You're about to start a Kickstarter. But after that, what, what, do you have a vision for what's going to happen after that? I try to take it very slowly, but I think my next book is going to be based on Winter Nights or Vetranatra. And that's just because I think Thanksgiving is the next one to tackle. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, there's uh, I think there's one more heathen celebration before I go on to the New Age celebrations, which include uh, Ostra. That one I'm on the fence with. I don't know if it should be New Age or Old Ways because there's more more New Age traditions in there than Old Ways, but you can find little traces of it throughout history in Germany so I might not separate my books into old ways and new age but leave it as an all-encompassing circle and then people can pick and choose what they want from it but all of my books have fun facts at the end so you'll know exactly where it came from so everybody can decide for themselves whether they want to incorporate that as a four book series or as a 17 book series (laughs) (laughs) excellent Mm -hmm. yeah I just want to say when we were arranging this and I have no children at home, so I was thinking ahead when I put myself on the list for the new book for a grandchild, but I hadn't really visited the site and I was just so impressed with the site. I was so impressed with the blog post that I managed to read when I should have been sleeping. I'm going to work my way through the backlog of them and I encourage everybody to go to Pagan Kids and do some reading and there's some great materials there that I'm so, yeah, wonderful. There's cool merchandise and so that's a bit of a fundraiser to help keep you going, is it? Yes, the children's clothing is just a dollar. Like it only gives me a dollar or two each piece of clothing, but I refuse to mark up children's clothes. I am very much against that. I think that adult clothing gives me about four to five dollars depending on it, but everything that I do is very ethical. So if I don't like that something's going to be too expensive, then I won't make it expensive. Right. So most of my funding comes from my books. I haven't paid myself yet because I recycle everything into the next book. And I think uh, my site and all the tools that I use to make all this look incredible is out of pocket. So if you'd like to try to fund me, uh, either you can buy my books, buy something from the shop. I've got a Patreon as well or PayPal tips. So like a dollar or two, whenever you see something that you think is of value. That's awesome. That's awesome. I see a strong like Freya t-shirt in my future. I do. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm definitely going to invest. <laughs> awesome. And I want to thank you for actually being our first Patreon supporter. Yes, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I've been following you guys for a while, so this is actually, again, if there's something of value, I want to be part of it. Well, this was a fun little project over COVID that I kind of assumed, like, ah, oh, we'll do a couple of episodes and decide, you know, it's not for us. And it's actually, it's gone well. We're pretty happy. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, well, I think that's good. We'll we'll let you get on with your day. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. This has been Three Witches and a Druid Podcast. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.